Hey, you in Hebrews 12? You there right now? Let's, let's dive in and look at a few things together. There's some background that's happened over the past couple weeks. Uh, Pastor, uh, Pastor Reist and Pastor Jonathan got us into Hebrews. The last time I was in Hebrews is when we finished our study and jumped into other things back in November 24th of last year. It was my last time in Hebrews, so it's been a little while, and I'm enjoying getting back into it. Here's the overall message of Hebrews, just to reintroduce you, is that Jesus is greater. He's greater than all. And in fact, um, the writer of Hebrews says, you know what, he's speaking to Jewish believers, he's saying Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the priests. Jesus is better than the sacrifices. He's better than the ceremonies. He's better than the old covenant. And, and he just lays it all out. He says, anything that you could look to in the past, thinking maybe that's where my security is spiritually, he says, Jesus is greater than all of it. And then not only that, the writer goes into this whole other element. He says, since he's greater... And since we're supposed to keep our eyes fixed on him, I want you to endure in this race. The race is not easy. The race is difficult, and there's so many circumstances that come into our lives. But he says, I want you to endure. And so Pastor Jonathan mentioned a couple weeks ago that there's this hall of faith in Hebrews 11. There's all these other people that endured through difficulty, understanding that there was something greater on the other side. He says, just like them, you need to endure. And then he says, the greatest example is Jesus Christ because he endured the cross and because there was something greater on the other side, which was the salvation of many and it was the glory of God. And he says, I don't want you to have anything hold you back or cause you to fall. Now, he mentions two things in Hebrews 12.1, things that hold us back. And Pastor Rice mentioned these last week. He mentioned weights. There's things that hold us back. Number one were weights or encumbrances. And in, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, these weights, he said, um, throw off everything that hinders or throw off weights or throw off encumbrances. And basically the word means a mass of something. It may not even be a bad thing. Some of you may be looking and saying, you know what? This thing isn't bad. The thing that I'm doing is not bad. It's not wrong. It may be good. It may be innocent, and, and that's fine. But here's the deal about a weight. The problem is not in what the weight is. The problem is, is in what the weight does. Does that connect with you? For instance, there was years ago the winner of a recent Olympic gold medal for the 100 meters. He came to our country for an invitational track meet. He was the world's fastest human being. But when he ran the preliminary heat, he didn't even qualify. And he was interviewed after the preliminary heat, and, and they asked him, what, what was the problem? What happened? And he, he just said plainly, he says, I was overweight. I had too much weight. And if our objective is to amass weights, then that's what will happen PR mentioned last week, if Satan can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. Too much of a good thing is too much. And if we want to run the race and adore for Jesus Christ, 
we need to consider what weights, what is too much in our life. What can we shed to be able to run efficiently, to run effectively, to make sure that we do all we can do for Jesus Christ. And then here's the second thing that's mentioned in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 12. He says there's weights, and then there are, he mentions, sins that so easily entangle. And the scriptures say that sin, different than weights, weights bog us down. Sins take us down. So note that. A sin, it mentions, is something that entangled, and, and the word actually means something that wraps around us, something that binds us. So don't look at sin as something on the road like a stone or a stick that we trip over, but rather this is something that circles, encompasses around us to wrap around our legs, wrap around our ankles so that we cannot run well and we fall over so weights tend to take us weigh us down sin takes us down and so now the big question is what sins take us down and in fact the question is it says they so easily entangle us is that really true are we easily susceptible to certain sins that can take us down in our race for Jesus Christ? Well, let's find out this morning what he's talking about. What sins can bind us? What sins can sideline us from the race? Are they really that easy to become bound in? Well, now let's look at the text I'm dealing with this morning, verses 14 on down in Hebrews chapter 12. So look at verse 14, and we're going to be looking at some sins specifically that bind us, and there's three of them. So look at this. I'm going to read verse 14 to 17. It says, Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. So see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. So let me give you a couple things first, and then we're going to get in the nitty-gritty. There's a big picture. So follow along with this. There's the big picture in verse 14 of what the writer wants us to understand. Number one, the big picture is, he says, I want you to pursue peace with your neighbor, and pursue purity with God. That's the overall big picture. Pursue peace with your neighbor. So he says, make every effort to live at peace with everyone. And then the next part is, and be holy. So that's pursuing purity with God. And it goes along with the two greatest commandments. Pursuing purity with God is the result of loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Pursuing peace with your neighbor and loving your neighbors yourself. Pursuing peace, pursuing purity. But then notice there is not only a big picture, there are big dangers. Now just to be open with you, I'm going to tell you that the next two phrases are two of the most difficult to understand in Hebrews. And there's a lot of them to understand in Hebrews that are tough. So notice he says these two things. He says, 
Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And then he says in verse 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Now these have been misused in many ways. And many have been wondering, what is he talking about? If you sin, will you not see the Lord? If you don't have holiness, do you fall short of God's grace? Do you lose your salvation? So understanding these are the toughest phrases, I have five commentaries on Hebrews that I've been looking at. Two of them give alternate views. One says it's one thing, one says it's another thing that they're talking about. Three of them don't even talk about it at all. So I have three commentaries for sale in the foyer after the service. What in the world are we talking about here? So I'm going to just give these to you in passing. The first one, he says, you know, without holiness, no one will see God. So there's two options. Number one, either this is an unbeliever. Now, take this. An unbeliever whose heart was never transformed. So basically, they never truly trusted Christ. And their life never changed. Now, stick with me. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, are you with me? If anyone in Christ, he is a what? A new? Exactly. Things are changed. And so it could be the writer saying, you know what? If your life hasn't changed without holiness, mm -mm. nothing's happening. You're not going to see the Lord. If your life has not changed, chances are you don't have the Christ of change in your heart something's got to change so it's either that and i tend to lean that way or another commentary says you know what it could be a believer but this could be talking about their testimony so without holiness no one will see the lord in your life is what another commentary says here's the other one that um see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. It could be an unbeliever, and I lean in that direction, that got sidelined because of sin from trusting in Jesus. Because you notice it says, falls short of the grace of God. They never attained, never received the grace of God. And I lean in that direction. Or the other option is that it could be a believer that because of sin is robbing themselves of the daily blessings that grace brings. Because of sin in their life, they don't sense God in their life. They don't have the grace of God in their life. But here's the deal. Either way, either way, these issues of sin have eternal consequences, friends. These are serious. What we're just about to talk with, the scriptures are saying, we can't look past. So let's dive in deep. What binds us? What sins easily entangle us? What takes us down in our race? So there's three ways we get bound in the race. Here's number one. Look at it in verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. And notice this, that no Bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. 
The first bondage is bondage to bitterness. Bondage to bitterness. Now, he mentions a root. So it's something small. And the reality is, most likely he's talking about a legitimate plant, a poisonous plant that begins as a root. And he says, in that stage, we cannot let it grow. So we know in that small point, it is a poisonous plant, although it's small. But then he mentions there's this level that it intensifies, it sprouts, it grows. And so we've let it develop and it begins to percolate. We begin to preoccupy our mind with this thought, with what is going on. And so it may start small as a root, but then we let it develop and it intensifies and then that poison that is growing from that poisonous plant in our heart ends up, notice, defiling many. What begins with us doesn't stay with us. And we give the same poisonous concoction to others. It's never enough that we are poisoned when we are bitter. Others must feel the same thing. Now there's a number of biblical examples of bitterness. One of the best and most vivid is Haman in the, in the account of Esther. And so in this, Haman is just boiling. He's seething with hatred toward Mordecai and the Jews. And so Haman gets this idea, you know, I want to take all the Jews down, and I especially want to take Mordecai down. And so he builds these gallows. And in fact, it's like an impaling pole that's way up because he wants everyone to see Mordecai get taken down and impaled in front of everyone. Well, at the end of the account, it all gets flipped around and Haman goes down on his impaling pole instead of Mordecai. And such is the case with bitterness. Now, if I can be bold and plain with us here today and say what the writer is saying, if sin entangles us, friends... Bitterness is bondage. It's bondage. And I know I've been there. In our mind, we think we're binding the other person. In our mind, we think we're inflicting pain on the other person. We think we're inflicting punishment on the other person. Like, oh, they're going to get this. They're going to get that. And our mind continues to go on and on with how we feel about it. And you know what? All the time that we preoccupy ourselves with this, there is no pain, there is no punishment, there is no bondage that goes to the other person. Guess who's in bondage through bitterness? It's us. That's what ties us up and takes us down off the race. And that's why the writer of Hebrews says, look at the root. Don't let it get to a plant. Don't let it poison other people. You need to clip it at the root. See to it that no root gets stop it there. No root of bitterness. We are poisoned. We're losing sleep. Our attitude changes. We lose the fruit of the Spirit we demonstrate to others that we're off the race. Our eyes are off Jesus. We're focused on mental vengeance. 
when vengeance is always to be left to the Lord. Always. Paul said it in Romans 12, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Don't repay people evil for evil. That's never what God wants us to bind ourselves with. So there's the bondage to bitterness. And we can see how that's so easy for us to get bound into. It's so readily accessible, it's just right here. Here's number two. There's the bondage to bitterness, and then there's the bondage to sexual sins. So walk down just the next verse, verse 16, because he says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. So the second sin on the list is that of sexual sins. Now just think about this. This is genius. Because the writer is pointing out probably the two most accessible sins to us today. Because bitterness, you don't need to go anywhere, do you? You can sit in your room and that thing can grow and grow and grow and we can be bound. You don't need to go anywhere. Sexual sin. Hey, let's just be open. Long gone are the days where you need to go somewhere to find the dirty magazine. Because sexual sin is right there at the click of a mouse or the touch of a touch screen or watching on your regular screen. Or in fact, you don't even need a screen because your mind has a screen that we can play over and over and over. And so the writer is just brilliant in pointing out through the Holy Spirit, you know, these are things that are so accessible to us that we need not go anywhere that can be binding. Now, I want to show you the word for sexual sin. The word that is used there in the Greek is pornea or pornos, which we understand as the word pornography. And so as it is used, its origin, porneo, means this. It means to sell off just as with a prostitute. And so the idea is I have something of great value and I'm going to sell it off for something much less valuable. Now notice what the example there in the text is in verse 16. It's Esau. And I don't know if you've ever heard of Esau, but Esau and Jacob were twin brothers. They looked nothing alike. One was hairy, one was smooth, one was a hunter, one was a cooker. So Esau the hunter went out to hunt. He just whiffed all day long. He didn't get anything. He came back. He was famished. He was hungry. He was tired. Jacob was cooking up all day long a a beautiful stew. And Esau came in and he's like, oh, I'm so hungry. I think I'm going to die. And Jacob's like, hey, I've got this great stew for you. I'll tell you what, I'll give you the stew if you sell me your inheritance. Now, we know this is the worst trade in the world. My inheritance for a bowl of stew? And guess what Esau does? Esau says, you know what? Why not? I may not live. I'm going to go ahead and give you my inheritance for the stew. What kind of a sell-off is that? 
That is exactly the idea of sexual sin. Because we take something of tremendous value to God and we sell it off for something so cheap in this world. A Newsweek in November of 86 had this story. Listen to this. There's a Texas gem dealer, Roy Wetstein. He was pawing through a, um, a Tupperware bowl of cheaply priced rocks at a mineral show in Arizona. And he came across this lavender gray potato-sized stone as he was pawing through that Tupperware bowl. And he looked over at the amateur collector who was selling all the stones, and he said, um, you want $15 for this? <clears throat> and the amateur said, I'll tell you what, give me 10 it doesn't really look as special as the others. So Roy gave him the 10 bucks. And Wetstein walked away with the world's largest sapphire, a star sapphire. Later valued, are you ready for this? Later valued at $2.28 million. He planned to sell his 1,905 carat bargain in its uncut form for 1.5 million, and he put the profits in trust for his two sons, each of which gave him five dollars and said, "Dad, please bring back a little something from the gem show." <laughs> Sexual bondage occurs when we sell off something of great value to God. Where sex in marriage and intimacy in marriage is now sold off for cheap substitutes that our society offers. And just to be plain with us, it's probably the most pervasive, along with bitterness, the most pervasive bondage in our country. It's through Wi-Fi, it's through our phone, it's through our computers, it's through our entertainment, it's through our imaginations, it's through our fantasies. It's pervasive everywhere, and bondage flourishes in darkness. It flourishes in the quiet. It flourishes when we protect it. It flourishes when we take our eyes off of Jesus, and it flourishes and it binds us and it keeps us from advancing in the race. And here's the third bondage. <clears throat> And I know it may not stick out as much or it may not seem as significant, but this is huge because verse 18 on down to verse 29, here's what it outlines. I don't have the time to go through as detail with you, but let me give you the overview. It's the bondage to religion of personal performance. The bondage to religion of personal performance. Now check this out. He talks about two mountains. Verse 18 to 21 is the first mountain and he says you have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness gloom and storm and he goes down through what this mountain is i'm just gonna cut to the chase with you this is mount sinai this is the mountain of the law this is the mountain of the old covenant and if you can 
kind of harken back with me to October when we talked about this then. This is the Old Testament judicial system that all of the Jews went along with. And basically what it was is they woke up sinners and they made sacrifices and they did rituals and they had ceremonies to try to earn God's favor and get rid of their sin. And then later on the day they sinned and so then they woke up the next day and they made sacrifices and they did rituals and they did ceremonies to get rid of their sin. And then they woke up the next day and then they did sacrifices and they did ceremonies and then they did rituals to try to get rid of their sin. And then they woke up the next day and you know the cycle? It was just repeated day in and day out. It was this life of the law. It was a life of trying and hoping to gain God's approval through their personal performance and it was not working. And, and, and the writer's saying, no, 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 no. That is not the mountain anymore. That is not the mountain for you. And so he says right here, verse 22 to verse 24, here's the mountain we're talking about. But you have come to Mount Zion. Mount Zion? What's Mount Zion? Mount Zion represents the new covenant. The new covenant of Jesus. Just what we dealt with at our Lord's table today, communion. This started at the cross where Jesus says, you know what, I am the sacrifice. You don't need to keep doing this. I have bore your sins and God's wrath on myself. And so verse 24, <coughs> you've been brought to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks to a better word than the, than the blood of Abel. Like this is what you've come to. We don't have an impersonal God we worship, but one who came to us to be human. We don't sacrifice to come to God. Jesus sacrificed to bring us to God. The law and human performance is bondage. Some people say, I've got to do more and do more to please God. It's bondage. And he says, no, I've clipped the rope of bondage of human performance you are free in grace because Jesus paid it all on the cross. You're free. And here's the call of God to us. There's a warning in verse 25 all the way down to the end. There's been human warnings, he says, but then notice there's a warning from heaven. God's talking to you. God's talking to you. He says, don't go back to that old mountain. Don't go back to thinking humanism is the way to earn God's favor. I can please God on my own. Don't go back. Go to the mountain of Jesus. Go to the cross. Know it's by grace. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, and keep running this race and he says it's serious because God's a consuming fire this race isn't for fun this isn't for sport he says our God needs reverence he needs awe. we run with seriousness we set aside the weight we cut the ropes of bondage we say no to bitterness we say no to sexual sin we say no to humanity's performance and humanism 
we say yes to grace, we say yes to Jesus Christ. How do we deal with bondage? How do we, how do we handle this? The first thing is we need to put our belief and confidence in Jesus. His, his covenant, his grace, his sacrifice. Here's the start of your race. The start of your race is at the cross. Here's how it all begins. Friends, if you've never done this, this is what you need to do. You need to realize I'm ending the race of myself. I'm starting the race of God. God, I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I know that Jesus died for me. He took my sin. He took your wrath so I can be forgiven. God, clean me. Forgive me. You're my forgiver. You're my leader. That's where it starts. Start your race today if you haven't. It begins at the cross. Put your belief and confidence in Christ alone. That I'm the way, the truth, the life. He says that no one comes to the Father but by me. Start there. Here's the second thing. Don't run alone. I want to give you three repeated phrases. Look at them in the text with me right now. Look at them. Verse 15. Here's the three repeated phrases. Verse 15. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God. Notice verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral. Notice that. Then notice the same phrase, verse 25. See to it. Now this is interesting. It's the same exact word for that of an overseer or a bishop that he wants people looking into the lives of other people. Make sure that others are not developing a root of bitterness. Make sure others are not developing sexually immoral habits, that other people aren't going back to humanism, but that they're following Jesus. And so here's the deal. It's not up to the pastor to be looking after every single other person in the church. You know what he's saying right here? He's saying, you see to it in the lives of others. So you're wondering, who am I supposed to be looking after? We'll kind of look around the room here a little bit. We're supposed to be seeing to it in each other's lives. We're not supposed to run alone. Well, how does that work? We're supposed to be connected. I use the word intimate in that way and use it this way, into me you see, like I'm an open book. And maybe for some people, you allow them just to come into your life and speak truth. And so when bitterness comes, you allow someone to say, yo, I see a root of bitterness. Like I see your attitude changing. Like the things you're saying, that sounds poisonous. Someone's got to be able to say it to us and say, it's not good and it's affecting you. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. It's not your job to be Mr. Vengeance. It's God's. We need to give someone that opportunity. We need to give someone the opportunity even to challenge us regarding our sexual issues. And, and maybe even we say, hey, buddy, here's the deal. 
Uh, I'm going to go on Covenant Eyes online, and you're going to be on the other side with an email. You're going to get everything that I look at. Because, you know, whenever we allow sin to dwell in darkness, it thrives and it grows. And we just need to open up and be intimate. Into me, you see. We need to run the race with other people, flat out. We just don't run alone. We don't hide in our own room and think we're going to go through this all by ourselves. We need to run with others. We need to keep problems small. We need people that are going to point us to Jesus. To fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Some people may say, well, I don't know that I need that. Well, number one, you need it. And number two, others need you. We don't run alone. See to it. Maybe that means small group for you. You say, I'm in a small group, but it's more like a, we just, we just study and talk about good things. That's nice. Then your small group needs to get into each other's lives because this race is important. We're running a race with eternal consequences and it's serious business. Hey, would you stand with me? What I want you to do, when we do, I just want you to think vertically, maybe with your eyes closed. Are there entanglements? Because they're easy. A bitterness? Even in a root. Sexual sin? or a religion of human performance. That we need to confess today to God. Let's deal with it right now. And can we run this race seriously looking to Jesus, but can we get partners around us and say, I I don't wanna run alone anymore. I can't run alone. It's not working alone. And have other people speak truth into our lives and we speak truth into theirs. Let's make a commitment today because this is the race of eternity we run. Father, please don't let this message from Hebrews end this morning. Burn it into our hearts. Help us, God, by the power and grace of Jesus, the beginner of our faith, the the completer of our faith, to work his work in our lives. May we not run alone, and may we run in the power of the one who died for us. May we run as examples for those who come behind us that this can be done. We pray this in the name of Jesus. All of East Bay Calvary said, amen.